Hello, everyone. Welcome to another podcast um, where we are continuing the series of telling conversion stories. My name is Scott Irwin, and I have with me in the studio Madison Trisbiak, who is a third-year vet student uh, who's been uh, part of our ministry and church for the last five years. And I'm excited for you to hear um, the story of God's redemption in her life, um, coming out of some pretty dark places and into um, uh, embracing a new family and and a new a new view of life. And so I I pray and hope that you will be encouraged by her story. Well, Madison, I'm glad to have you in the studio. Uh, this is your first time into this awkward room with a bunch of audio video equipment. Um, but glad you're here. We, you know, you and I have known each other since your freshman year. Which what year are you now? Uh, what, this, how many years have you been at OSU? This will be my fifth year at OSU. Fifth year at OSU. So we've known each other for four or five years, and uh, really got to know each other on the spring break trip your freshman year, which is when was a really big week for you. But I'm excited to have you in the studio to share your conversion story. And um, so I'm just going to let you start with, like, tell us about Madison, her life before coming to OSU, and and in all of that so go ahead yeah um well thanks for having me here but um i guess i'll just start fast from the beginning um i moved to oklahoma with my parents when i was about three and about that time me and my mom got in a, a pretty bad car accident that left her pretty much housebound for the next seven years and around that time somewhere about age seven my dad had a heart attack and so both my parents were kind of down and out for the count and pretty much as a kid, all I could think about, all I could do was serving my parents, helping mm. them heal and helping them get better. Um, so and you're only child. I am an only child. Okay. okay. And as I got older, about age 10, my parents were healing throughout that time as well. My mother committed adultery against my father and they got divorced, um, which led into quite a few lawsuit battles um, most of them were very expensive, and we ended up on both sides, my father and mother, um, falling into poverty, which was pretty difficult. I moved around um, probably about six or seven times in a year for the mm. next, excuse me, the next two years. Mm. And that was, that was pretty hard. Everything was very unsettling. I had no permanent home, which was a little bit difficult. Mm. To say the least. Oh, yeah. <laughs> a little bit difficult. A little bit difficult. Um, yeah. You were 10? Yes. Okay. Yes. From ages 10 to 12, I moved around quite a bit. Hmm. Um, and about that time, I lived with my mother mainly, and there was a lot of emotional abuse that started and a lot of manipulation. Uh, most of it was towards my father, um, that my father didn't love me anymore and that my family didn't love me anymore um, because I was somehow this broken child of a broken marriage and that my mother said it was all my father's fault. And so that was really, really difficult for me and really put me in a bad spot um, in a relationship with my father, and none of which was his own doing, but just poor circumstance. Mm-hmm. Um, and so... Throughout this time, my mother would blame everything on me. Every every time she got a speeding ticket, um, 
And if we were close to being evicted, it'd be because I needed money to eat or go to school or close. And so that was rather difficult as well because I couldn't differentiate between what was actually my doing and what was hers. And so as we moved through these two years, my mother, we were about to move again, which was pretty common. I was expecting it. And Mm -hmm. she told me that, hey, we're moving to this house down the street. And I was pretty okay with it, pretty excited, gonna try something new again, maybe it will be better. And I did not catch this at the age of 12 that it was very strange to be moving in the middle of the night mm-hmm. um, on a school day and all my books had been returned and I couldn't speak to any friends or my father. And so we packed all of our stuff into the car. And as we drove past the street where my house was supposed to be, I said, hey, we missed the turn. She said, actually, we're going to Iowa. Wow. And so I um, always feel strange using the word kidnap, but it was a parental kidnapping from mm. Tulsa, Oklahoma to Cedar Rapids, Iowa overnight, which was very, very uh, difficult. <laughs> wow. Um, and so mm. I pretty much uprooted and left my school, my friends, my father, to go to Iowa overnight and I had no idea any of this was happening. And so when we got to Iowa, I was put into this trailer home that my mother would occasionally be there. And I, to say the least, didn't know what to do. Mm. Um, I got there and I just cried Mm. because I had lost everything. And at this time I was not a believer. And so I had no friends, I had no family, I had no father. And I had no God and there's nobody to help me. And so I don't know how to describe that loneliness when you're sitting there and there's nothing. And so that was probably one of the worst, most horrifying experiences. And it lasted like that for about three weeks Hmm. until the police finally came knocking on my door and they had found me and mandated that we go back to Oklahoma. Okay. So... I want to pause there yeah. because, you know, I, I remember hearing most of this um, in in the in the car on the way to Albuquerque. Mm-hmm. Was it on the way or on the on the way? It back? was on the way there. On the way there, your freshman year spring break trip. Drew and I have a kind of a tradition of what do we call it? The story truck, where you get mm-hmm. in the, get in our truck and we have a few students tell their story. And I remember when you told your story. And you told it so matter of fact, you told it like it was, oh yeah, so this happened and this happened and I was kidnapped and I was in a trailer for three weeks by myself and, and the police, you know, and I, I, I had at the time a 12 year old daughter, Micah, I believe. Um, and so, you know, I'm sitting there thinking like, what the heck? Like this is, and so if you're listening and you're going, whoa, that's pretty heavy. Yeah. Yeah, it is pretty heavy. Um, maybe maybe pause a little there at that point and talk a little bit about just your recently how you've been processing a lot of that in mm-hmm. the last couple of years. And then we can come back to that point. Maybe. Yeah, definitely. Um, I, for the last couple of years, have been going through some pretty intense therapy. I have seen two therapists. I saw both of them at the same time. One was a general life therapist on how to deal with things that 
just happened in life and how to cope with them. And one was a trauma specialist, of which I still see, and actually saw this morning. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And so there's been a lot of in-depth work to try to ease and undo and unlearn a lot of things that I learned growing up that I am not to blame Mm. for the falling apart of my family and I'm not to blame for my mother's like difficulties surviving financially and just that none of it I was not in control I was not in control of the situation and that I am not a homewrecker that I am a lovable human being and um which has been a big part I guess also of what I've learned after becoming a Christian is that Mm. I am a child of God and that I am loved um yeah. regardless of anything yeah and so that's been something that's really changed a lot for me recently yeah. but yeah yeah those of you listening i you know been able to walk with her a little bit through this time but have seen madison you know i've told you this i told you this in front of all the students um, a few weeks ago that i've seen you put in the work to embrace hard things like your past um and it's been amazing to watch you process a lot of that and even reconcile with extended family recently mm-hmm. and just some amazing things that have happened relationship with your dad all of this thing just some really really cool things so anyway just i felt like we needed to pause because i remember sitting in the truck <laughs> yeah. hearing that going uh you're moving on wait you were 12 okay wait um but anyway so okay so you come back to oklahoma mm-hmm. and then pick up from there yeah uh, sorry i do go through this kind <laughs> of fast Um, I came back to Oklahoma and it was uh, court mandated that I cannot leave the state of Oklahoma until I turned 18 and also that I needed to attend mandatory therapy. And so I started therapy. However, at that same time, um, my mother was supposed to be arrested um, due to kidnapping (laughs) Mm -hmm. and her like subpoena was filed wrong. And so she just got off scot-free nothing and so they just said I could return with her the issue was there was nowhere for me to return to Hmm. and so I came back because she had convinced me that we would go back to Iowa the next day and so I came back to Oklahoma with a singular backpack of one change of clothes and a hairbrush and some toothpaste and I had nothing and nowhere to go and so I began couch surfing with whoever would let me stay with them. Um, sometimes my, my mother would be there with me and sometimes she wouldn't. Okay. Usually they were people that I have met before or my mother had said, hey, I've met this person, it's gonna be fine. Um, and I spoke to DHS multiple times and they said couch surfing was okay, apparently. Okay. And so um, I did that. You're with, so with your mother, you came back from, from Iowa to Oklahoma with your mom and you mm-hmm. guys didn't have a home, you were kind of visit staying yeah. in other ple- mm-hmm. with other people got it and some people would let us stay for a little bit and some people i think there was one lady i lived with for about a year um mm-hmm. which was very very generous and mm-hmm. i could not appreciate that more um but i lived off entirely donated clothes and food and we had nothing and it was just entirely based off the generosity of other people around me of other people at the school i had no school supplies and so i just 
Hmm. Went about my day as a kid with nothing. Um, But that slowly became kind of my reality and no longer really bothered me. Um, It was just how things were. And so eventually my mother was able to land a job and rent out a home close to uh, the school that I went to. And so we moved in and that went fairly well for a little bit. Um, So by the time we had moved into this house, I was about 15, 15 or 16-ish. And so um, me and my father, our relationship had been um, split by the court, split custody. Mm -hmm. And so throughout this whole time, I had still been experiencing a lot of emotional abuse and manipulation and over the years my mother had entirely convinced me that everything was my father's fault and everything Hmm. was his doing Um, and most of it like in retrospect doesn't make any sense Um, but I trusted my mother because she was my mother Mm -hmm. and she's supposed to love me and take care of me Um, and so I believed her and at one point I had to get some oral surgery done that my mother was not willing to let me have done, but my father paid for it in full and she still would not let me go. Hmm. And so my father came to pick me up from my mother's house to take me to get surgery. And my mother stopped me and said, if you walk out that door, I'm going to leave. And I also need you to know that I do not love you anymore. Hmm. And my whole world fell apart because I believed that my family didn't love me. I believed that my dad didn't love me. And I had no friends because there was lots of extenuating circumstances that if I spent time with people, people would, family members would call the police and say that they're also trying to kidnap me. And so hmm. friends and their parents hadn't, didn't want anything to do with me. So I was pretty much very isolated hmm. from any kids at school Um, my family was not involved. And so I was once again in a place where I did not believe in God and I had no family. I had no friends. And the one person that was supposed to love me and take care of me just said that they don't. Mm. And so there was, (laughs) I definitely fell into probably the worst depressive episode of my whole life, which I really struggled with depression over the years, um, especially right when I came back from Iowa. Um, They put me on three antidepressants and an anxiety med at max dose. And so for a lot of this, um, I think I partially go through it because I was so apathetic to everything. I go through it pretty fast because I didn't have a lot of extra emotions because it was just suppressed Hmm. because it was too difficult for everybody else to deal with me if I Hmm. was emotional and I caused a lot of problems because Hmm. I was not handling being isolated from everybody very well. And so after that, um, because this was all dependent on my mother loving me because she was the only one and then it all fell apart. And so I fell into a really, really bad depressive episode and That's the first time that I struggled with uh, suicidal ideation because at that point it didn't matter if I died or lived. It would have made no difference to anybody and it would have been a sad story on the news. Hmm. And so that was something that 
I really, really had to struggle with. Um, and it was so bad, it came to the point that I was like, if I, you know, I'm going to do this, I need to do it at the right time so at least my mother gets some benefit out of it. And so it had been, I'd been convinced that if I, the only thing I can do for my family now is to die. And so that was so difficult. <laughs> um, um, but about this time, actually, I, I swam on the swim team for a number of years. And there was one girl on that team that in the background just randomly had been pestering me um, to come to church on Sunday. And I said no every time <laughs> for a very long time. Why is that? Um, well, I grew up in an atheist household. And okay. from what I had seen there I did not really have a reason to believe that there was a God because there nobody had ever cared for me. I'd always been shoved under the rug or I was the overdramatic child that just wants attention and anything I did just was mm. you know, for not good reasons and yep. that I just was a troublemaker. And so So she's asking you to go to church. And you eventually said yes? I did. I did eventually say yes. It took a very long time in me going through um, a second round of homelessness after mm. uh, what my mother had said. We'd gotten evicted rather soon, and I became very like food insecure once again after we'd gotten evicted. And her and her family noticed this, and they, after I think about a year of asking me to go to church, said, how about we get you lunch after church? And I said, oh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> let's go get some lunch. Um, and so I started going to church with them. And the first day I went to church, I was like, I was right, this is dumb. <laughs> <laughs> um, because I didn't understand what was going on, and I had no idea what the community was like. I had no idea what unconditional love was. Um, and throughout this time, as I was going to church with them, they actually started adopting three boys from the Ukraine. And this may sound really strange, but I was very angry with them. I was super upset because I was so frustrated that you don't even speak the same language as these kids, but yet you love them. And I wasn't even loved by my own mother. Mm. And so I had no way to conceptualize what that was. Um, I kept going to church with them and eventually after a period of time there was one message that pretty much changed everything for me mm. um, and that was Mark 10 verses um, 29 through 31 and that says truly I tell you Jesus replied no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me in the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, along with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. And I felt stupid. I felt so stupid. I looked down the pew and I was like, these people may not be able to adopt me, but they are loving me as their child. Hmm. And that was just the first glimpse of the hundreds of families and parents that I have in my life now. Mm. Um, and that was the moment that I was like, I've been blind and I've been a fool 
and God has already started providing me hmm. with these things. And he's been sustaining me this whole time because I managed to deal with the circumstances. And I believe that he was guiding me through that the whole time um, because I honestly thought I would be dead by the point that I was at. And so there was so much provision there that in retrospect I can see, but in the moment it was I was just so blind to it. Hmm. And so after that moment, I started becoming more invested in going to church and listening, actually truly listening to learn and to know God. Um, And I eventually gave my life to Christ um, about the, I believe, the summer before I came to college. Um, But during that time, like, I wish I could say after I gave my life to Christ, everything suddenly was better. Hmm. Um, But I went back home with my mom and the circumstances were the same but it was better because I knew that my life had purpose and that it was to know and to love and to glorify the Lord and that it does matter and that I don't need to think about taking my life because my life right now has purpose Hmm. and there is redemption in what I've been through and so that was a really really big thing for me because it's the reason that I decided to keep living. Hmm. He was the reason that I'm still here. Hmm. And so that was very, very, it, I mean, it's life-changing. I mean, yeah. I think we we all know that following Jesus is the most important choice that you can make. Um, but I mean, I kept living in the same circumstances with my mother and I just, when it was time to go to college, I just left. Um, and then I went to college and uh, I started attending the table. I had a friend that brought me with him because his sister had gone there. And I went there and was so nervous because I didn't think that I fit in Hmm. because I didn't fit the standard kid that goes to college that's in a Christian ministry. I came from virtually no family and I had just become a Christian. I didn't know any Bible stories. I was like, Paul who? I don't (laughs) know who Paul is. Um, And so that was very interesting. And the first book we went through was Genesis. And so I was very, very confused and very overwhelmed, I think very fast. Um, But I joined a table group, a small group. And I was loved so well by the women in that group. Um, And they were constantly looking out for me, even when I didn't ask for it or didn't want it. (laughs) Um, so one of them actually came to you and heard my story and asked that you would, uh, check in on me. Yeah. Um, because at that moment I still had come from nothing and there was nothing for me to really return to during breaks or anything. Um, and so we had a discussion mm-hmm. and I pretty much was like, yeah, this is cool. <laughs> and... <laughs> Um, because I still really struggled to connect with everybody because I wasn't willing to be vulnerable because anytime I'd been vulnerable with anybody else and they'd walked away from me. Mm -hmm. And so I wasn't willing to let people in, to let people know me. And I just pretended. And, and so that was a lot of that was my own doing because of fear. Um, but as the, Um, Albuquerque trip was coming up I was really beginning to struggle with my faith and I didn't know if I had just convinced myself that there was a God because I was hurting and I was sad 
and there was nothing else for me to put my faith in. Um, and so that was a really big struggle for me. And I didn't know if Christianity was for me. And so I wasn't super connected and I decided to um, speak to Rachel Vincent at the time, actually. Mm-hmm. And so I sat down with her and said, I don't know if this is for me. Um, I'm really struggling to connect with people, but I want to give it one more go. What do I need to do? And she asked me if I'm going to Albuquerque. And I said, oh, no, I can't afford that. Can't afford it. She said, oh, well, you're going. And I was like, I don't think you heard me. Like, I can't afford it. And she said, well, that will never be a reason that somebody doesn't go on a a mission trip to serve and know the Lord. Mm -hmm. I remember remember that because Rachel mentioned that to Drew and I. We posted uh, a post on our alumni page, and I think it took 15 minutes. And we had more than was required because we, all these people were texting us saying, yeah, we'll give, we'll give, we'll give. And there's like, by the time we added it up, we're like, okay, we got it. Oh, it's more than, sorry about that. So anyway, like here's some money for food while we're there. Anyway, yeah, it didn't take long. Yeah, it was, um, I was shocked to say the least. I didn't even, I didn't know that the church would provide like that. Um, because I was uh, honestly very flaky about attending church Mm -hmm. and attending small group. And towards the end of my first semester, I didn't really want to go at all because I wasn't connected and I didn't know anything. Um, But Rachel convinced me to go Mm -hmm. to Albuquerque. And it was the most life-changing event ever (laughs) for me. Um, On the way there, we did, as you talked about the story truck where I got to sit in between uh, two other people and the first one gave their testimony and lots of positive response of seeing oh yeah like look at how god has worked in your life and then i remember you said madison we know nothing about you and i said (laughs) okay i guess i'll just talk yep and then we had about five minutes of silence, and there was a, I don't know how to respond to that. Yes. Um, it, did I say that? Yes. Yeah. 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 Um, which I think is, I thought it was so funny in the moment, but also <laughs> terrifying. Um, yeah. Because I didn't know if everybody was going to respond like that. Yeah. And I was very, very worried that I was not only going to get an accepting, but also didn't know how to respond, but mm-hmm. backlash of, you don't really belong here because you're not like the rest of us. Yeah. Well, you missed an important detail oh, about <laughs> showing up and oh, sleeping no. through. So she, sh- so she was. We were all there. We're all ready to go. We meet at like seven thirty in the morning, and we're supposed to drive away at eight. And everybody's there, but Madison. We're like, we're not leaving without her. So someone better call her, wake her up. Something's going on. So we all, we drove three vans and the trailer with the truck and trailer with the luggage and uh pull into what were you saying oh uh, um, i was in a dorm bennett bennett Bennett, yes pulled into the bennett parking lot (laughs) waited for you to come down and you were so nervous oh but we were it was like one of my favorite moments yeah Yeah, it was it was very wild i got on that van and i thought everybody hated me immediately (laughs) yeah because i made everybody an hour late (laughs) and then and then a few hours later we make you tell your story and yep and I was super nervous. Yep. Um, I was like, okay, time, please let me back in the other van. Now I'm nervous. So uh, as you look back on that week, what what happened over that week for you that really was a trajectory change? Um, 
the biggest thing would be that um, a couple days in, Drew came to me uh, while we were at a house party, and he asked me to share my testimony for the youth ministry that we were partnering with and everybody else that we came with. And I panicked and was like, anything for you. I have no (laughs) idea how to say no because I am scared. (laughs) And, um, but that turned out to be the best thing in my whole life. Mm. Um, There was me and one other guy that was going to give his testimony and he sat down with me the night before and just said, Ryan Hughes. Yes. Ryan Hughes. He made a very large impact in my life that night. He sat down. He's like, just tell me your story. And we talked for about two hours and he sat there and he was crying and he said, I just, there's a couple things I want to say to you that like, one, I am so sorry that you've Mm. had to deal with that. And two, how are you doing? Mm. Are you okay? Um, which was one of the only times at that moment that I'd ever been asked if I was okay. Nobody had ever questioned how I was doing after or before. They just said, oh, that's really horrible. Hmm. Um, And he kept going and he said, I just want you to know that like, I love you and you are so loved because you're a child of God. None of this takes away from that. Hmm. And I know everybody else here will love you. Hmm. And so that was the first glimpse, I think, of what like unconditional love really like really really looked like i was shocked i didn't know how to respond i think i just said okay thanks (laughs) Um, (laughs) uh, (laughs) so that was um yeah poor guy he was being so vulnerable and i just said yeah okay um but it meant the world to me um and so the next day we woke up and we everybody circle up to pray for us and I said "Ooh, that's a little weird mm-hmm. <laughs> um but then everybody came and laid their hands on me and I had no concept of how powerful prayer was but my heart was just so softened in that moment to sit here and know that all of these people are coming together to pray for me because they love me mm-hmm. and because they love God mm-hmm. and that was something that I We'll never forget the feeling of. Um, and as we progressed throughout the day, um, every day we were supposed to wake up and choose somebody to pray for. And you were supposed to go talk to them and be like, what can I pray for? And I think over half of the people there chose me as their person to pray for. And so I had so many one-on-one conversations with everybody. And again, I was so confused. I was like, you know, Ryan, like you love Ryan. Ryan's been here forever. Like, why are you praying for me? Right. Um, and it's because they wanted to love me well and they wanted mm-hmm. to know me and I still had just not given them the opportunity mm-hmm. to to come into my life. And so as we got through the day, it was about time for me to give my testimony and I went and sat in the bathroom and freaked out for about 10 minutes until after they had started worship and I could no longer sit in the bathroom and I had to go out. <laughs> um, and I walk into the sanctuary and Ryan's sitting in the back waiting for me. He's like, hey, I saved you a seat. Mm-hmm. And so we go sing a song and then it's our time to go up on stage. And the whole time he's like, I know it's scary. You're going to be okay. Everything's going to be fine. I'll go first and you'll be fine. And so I walked up there with him and he went first and I could, there was a very positive response to his testimony and it was really amazing. Mm -hmm. And it gave me so much hope for what mine would look like. Mm -hmm. 
and I said a quick prayer before I started and I was like God I need you to speak through me because I am scared and I cannot do this and I I'm pretty sure my voice cracked the first word that I said (laughs) and I panicked and I was like oh no God's not here and then immediately it was just peace Hmm. and I just knew that everything was fine and if I feel like if I've ever felt God in a moment that was him with me Hmm. saying you are my child and you will be loved and you will be taken care of. Um, and that was just, I can't, I feel like I can't accurately describe that feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, but I started talking and as I was talking, I was looking out over everybody in the sanctuary and I would see tears and like people with their mouths open in awe. Mm-hmm. And I finished my testimony and everyone stood up everyone stood up and everyone lined up to hug me. And Scott, you were the first person that came up to me and you told me that I would never have to worry about another need that I would be taken care of and that I would be loved. And all of that is still true. (laughs) That everything that I've ever needed has been provided by God and by our church and by the individual families here. Um, And I... I don't know. I can't like, I feel like I'm about to cry. (laughs) I'm just so, so thankful. And it's been such a blessing to have, I feel like walked into this community that, Mm -hmm. you know, everybody stood up and they said, I, I know we don't know each other, but we're family and I need you to know that I love you and I will always love you. Um, and so that, and that moment was what steered me to stay as a follower of Christ. Hmm to know that these people love God so much that they're willing to love somebody that I didn't know if they could benefit them, could give back, could love them well, um, and that they're willing to take the risk and love me at whatever cost it was. And so that was what kept me going um, towards Christ. And I came back to the table and everything grew exponentially. I suddenly was building relationships and was being loved by everybody. And I was learning how to read the Bible and learning what it looked like to pray appropriately and to go to church to serve as like a way to know God and to learn about God and to build our relationship instead of just hearing a message Mm -hmm. and listening because Mm -hmm. I'm supposed to go. Right. And so that was the biggest game changer. And my faith grew exponentially. And I've had so many wonderful mentors in my life. I've had you and Ryan and I've had Rachel Vincent, which I have need to tell her more about how big of an impact she had on my life in that moment. Yeah. Um, but and even just the people that I've lived with, Rachel Madden has made such a massive difference in my life. And oh, I'm about to cry. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, and so it's been, <laughs> I've walked into a family, um, a family that I've, could have never imagined of how amazing it is and how much unconditional love that I experienced. Um, and so that's been pretty, pretty wonderful. Okay. I, a couple things I remember, I mean, that, that moment you sharing your testimony at that church and in front of that youth group, um, definitely one of the top memories of my time as college minister. Um, and because, because I knew what was at stake, with you and what you were wrestling with and, and what you'd been through and, and then what, 
I knew what was coming. Like my promise to you wasn't anything like, oh yeah, I'm going to make this happen. This was, I just know. I just know our people. I know mm-hmm. the Lord. I know like God is going to, and he's going to help you see that he's provided this for you. And But what's been really cool for you, you came back and the language I heard you saying over the next year was the table is my family, the table is my family, the table is my family. And I've, I both thought that was awesome and I thought, I hope someday she sees the church as her family because it was those peers that were in your life and friends and roommates and all that. I, I, I could not wait for the day f- and it's happened, you know, for you, for, for you to see like the church and older believers and younger believers and you, you, you know, being in this multi-generational church family that, that in, and I've seen you experience that. I've seen you hanging out with, other adults and it's just it blows my mind how what god has done in your life to see all of that taking place um and um so talk so talk a little bit about some restoration that's happened with your dad and and with just even i don't know where you're at currently Mm -hmm. yeah there's been a lot that has happened um one of the major things was that my Mother and I ended our relationship a couple of years ago, um, which sounds like one of the worst things that's ever happened, and it was in the moment, but it also allowed so much room for me to reconcile with my family, um, to reconcile with my father, because I realized I had been blindsided, hmm. that he has loved me this whole time, and I was manipulated into believing that he didn't. Hmm. And so I was so thankful for the opportunity to come back and say I'm sorry yeah and I wish I could have seen through it but I know that you've loved me this whole time and there was a a, a wild thing that happened this this last m- couple months actually mm-hmm. um I had a cousin that was um passing away at the age of 24 from a, a rare genetic disease and I was told that he had 48 hours to live and he was in the ICU and so I packed all my bags and I drove up to see him and because I hadn't seen my family in a couple years and I grew up with this kid and so I was scared I was scared because my family I didn't know what they thought of me because I thought they hated me Hmm. from growing up and now that me and my mother don't have a relationship I thought that they hated me for that and I got there and they were just so joyous and abounding with love and forgiveness and excitement that I came. And it was under, I thought, what would be the worst circumstances that my cousin was dying. Hmm. Um, but I had the opportunity to go and to go see him and tell him that I love him. And it was such a blessing that I truly think the Lord extended his time um, for everybody to get to come hmm. love him and talk to him before he passed. Um, but I got there and his mom, my mother's sister, explained to me how broken the family was um, because of my mother, because she had put in so many barriers between me and everybody else that they didn't want this. It wasn't a choice, but they did it out of fear for her coming in and ruining other relationships in the family. 
And so I talked to my grandparents, I talked to my aunt, my uncle, my other cousins, and they, they cried and they told me that they're so glad that they're here or that I'm here. And they said, I want to make amends. Like, I'm sorry we didn't do more for you hmm. to try to get you back into the family earlier. We're so sorry and we didn't do the right thing. Hmm. And so I walked away from that trip losing a cousin but he's now with god and that's something to rejoice in for sure um but i also walked away with my whole biological family back Hmm. which was something i was never expecting yeah um that reconciliation never crossed my mind i thought i just had lost them forever because of the circumstances and the mother that i grew up with um but god restored it he restored it through i believe totally our faith in him because my grandparents are also believers and so is the rest of my family Hmm. and so that was something that was so reuniting yeah um and with my father this has been so amazing um he's recently started coming to church every weekend with us and that was something i also never expected he came he drives from tulsa every weekend to come to church, to come see me, to come see um, my boyfriend and his family and just to sit and to listen to the word of God. Um, And that was something I could have never Hmm. imagined was going to happen, but I'm so thankful that he's here. Um, And it's just been, I don't know, also feel really emotional about that. (laughs) (laughs) As you should. Yeah. um, But it's been such a blessing to see all the reconciliation that I've had with almost my entire family um, through God. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's the reason that we are all reconciling. And mm-hmm. so that's been pretty much the most, I mean, it's, it's, I want to say everything's the most amazing thing that God's done. That's just really, I can't, I mean, I can't say you that You keep everything. being amazed. I keep being amazed. And there's, I feel like I have, no adequate words to describe mm. God or the things that he's done. Mm. Um, but he has given my life a purpose and he has reconciled me to my family. He has given me more family and he just loves me. Mm-hmm. And to know that I suffered with no love growing up until I was like 18. Um, but to know that I am in a relationship with God who is love um, has really, really just made the difference in my life. Hmm. And it's the reason I want to keep on living. It's the reason I want to keep connected to the church. And it's because God has loved me so well and he's provided everything um, that I just, I want to be able to love everybody back. That's Mm -hmm. also shown me God's love and I want to love God well and I want to follow him well. And so that's, I think that's pretty much where I, I am now, but yeah. I will say you have gotten way better at telling those difficult details <laughs> <laughs> than the first time I heard it, which was shocking. Um, but I can see, you know, just just knowing what you've worked through and knowing how you've processed the gospel in your past, you know, th- in the lenses of you know, what God is doing in you now and, and where you're heading in the future, I can really see how the gospel has helped you process all those things well and 
and you've had help processing things that you didn't even know you needed to. And yeah. it's amazing how our bodies and our, and our minds and all of that suppresses things for our own survival. And then at some point it has to come out. And you've been a great example of that, <clears throat> that, that these things, these things can be worked through and that, and then you've trusted God through the process and it's been hard, you know, you, you've been through a lot and, and just since you've started working through it, been through a lot. And so I'm really proud of you. I know I tell you that I am really proud of you. We're Ryan and I love you. I remember the first time you came over to our house, we sat on the couch with Rachel and maybe Alyssa and the, you know, our adopt a home girls. Mm-hmm. And we watched something, and and you're just like, is this what families do? This is weird. <laughs> I did say that. <laughs> yes, yes, you did. Um, but now you come over, and you're just like one of us, and uh, I love that. And so anyway, I'm super proud of you. I want to pray, and then we'll be done. God, thank you for your goodness to us. Um. And that is, I know, uh, can be a complicated thing for a lot of people who are in difficult situations, maybe similar to what Madison has been through, to to be able to confess that you are good um, in the midst of that is takes takes some wisdom and some insight and some faith to believe. But I'm so thankful for what you have done in Madison's life and the way you have um, rescued her out of a really dark place and have brought her into um, the light um, that she knows Jesus, that she loves Jesus, and that she loves others well because of her relationship with Jesus. And so I'm thankful for that. I've seen that in in her over this, the last several years, just her growing in her faith and um, Lord, all of that is you. And so we thank you for these things. We pray and ask that you be glorified in this story and that others are encouraged and and are drawn closer to you. In all this, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen.